It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And I wanted to find out more about Jeff Ulbrich, the new defensive coordinator of the New York Jets. And so, in order to do that... I went to somebody that would know quite a bit about him because in addition to being the color man for Atlanta Falcons broadcasts, he is also a Hall of Famer for Iowa State, a great quarterback there, and he was a former quarterback, starting quarterback, in fact, for the Atlanta Falcons, so nobody knows the Falcons like this guy, Mr. Dave Archer. Dave, thanks so much for coming on. Great to be with you, Scott. So, Dave, first and foremost, before we get into Ulbrich, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you that Matt Campbell told the Jets no? <laughs> <laughs> well, as an Iowa State fan, no question about it. We've really enjoyed what he's been able to bring to the table, and I think anybody uh, would love to have him aboard. He's a roll-your-sleeves-up kind of guy, uh, very uh, very loyal uh, to the opportunities being given, obviously, you know, starting with Mount Union, we're in a little W3 or a uh, Division three school in Ohio to uh, moving up the, the ladder to Toledo and now at Iowa State. And uh, he's a guy that uh, um, I think is probably going to be in the league at some point, but he just feels like his mission is not done yet. So, yeah, at Iowa State, uh, the we've had we've been kind of a stepping stone for a number of coaches through the years with Johnny Majors, Earl Bruce, even Gene Chizik to a certain extent where he stepped from Iowa State to, to Auburn to win a national championship. So we're pretty, pretty excited about the fact we've been able to keep the three-time Big 12 Coach of the Year right there in Ames. So Matt Campbell stays at Iowa State. Falcons get Arthur Smith. How are the fans taking to that? Are they happy? You know, it's it's interesting because a little bit off the radar, right? Uh, Arthur Smith, I think that unless you're someone that really searches and 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 really stays in touch with the the hot coordinators or hot assistant coaches, Arthur Smith probably slips under the uh, slips through the cracks, right? You don't necessarily see him. Has done an excellent job the last couple of seasons. Um, at, at Tennessee, and it, it's interesting too that we these long lineage of of proving yourself is really not the way anymore. Now you're trying to find that, that hot guy that might be just on the verge of breaking out. Arthur Smith certainly falls in that category. Matt Lafleur, the head football coach of the Green Bay Packers, who's been to the NFC Championship game back to back years, is a guy that really kind of had an okay year as the offensive coordinator at Tennessee, and he gets the head job in Green Bay. So I think everybody's trying to kind of find that hot guy that might not have broken out yet. And we're hoping Arthur Smith is that guy. I think there's some, some, 
there's some people that are excited about the fact the regime has changed because there was, you know, three consecutive seasons after being in the playoffs, back-to-back years, a Super Bowl run. There's been three seasons of just kind of, ah, it's okay. You know, one of those kind of deals. Nothing really to hang your hat on. Any any change at this point in Atlanta was going to be welcomed. I think Terry Fontenot uh, is is a bright and shining star when it comes to someone that's uh, from a personnel side that comes in and takes over the GM job. I think people are very excited about Fontenot coming in. So I think the combination of the two has lit a fire into the fan base here in Atlanta, just looking for something different. I did a lot of research on Terry Fontenot a couple of years ago when he was a candidate for the Jets GM job. And I'm telling you, Dave, you got a good one there in Atlanta. He's going to do a really nice job rebuilding the Falcons. Hopefully, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas can work together to rebuild this Jets team. And if they're going to do it, Jeff Ulbrich is going to be a key piece now as the defensive coordinator. And he's been playing football forever. He was a really good high school football player, three-time letterman at Live Oak High School in Morgan Hill, California, also a two-time letterman in wrestling. Has he ever talked about that? Because a lot of times when guys have football and wrestling backgrounds, we hear about how they use that wrestling background to teach different techniques and how it informs what they do. I know that Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, has talked about this. Clearly, Tristan Wirfs, one of the best tackles in the league as a rookie this year, used his wrestling background for some of his technique anything that Ulbrich has ever talked about yeah it is something actually Scott that he talked about in the fact of of leveraging ball carriers Mm -hmm. I think that you know whenever you can get uh, leverage on someone wrestling whether it's you know get to the edge of them find a way to to get them in a compromising situation uh, because they can't use all their strength of their body I think that's something he has talked about in leveraging uh, and in getting to your proper side of a, of a blocker, getting into the proper area to make a tackle and make clean tackles as opposed to missing a number of tackles. I think that uh, those are all things that he has lent his expertise on. And he, he did mention to me in, in one interview that I did with him about his background in wrestling, he felt like it helped him uh, kind of be able to describe what it's like uh, or what it what it looks like and, and how you're supposed to get to that leverage spot to make a tackle or play off of a block. So I think that does factor into some of his teachings. As talented of a wrestler as he was in high school when he got to college, he focused exclusively on football, did really well in junior college, was a first-team all-conference player and an MVP, and then he transfers to Hawaii where he becomes an all-whack first-team selection and co-captain as a senior. He was a two-year starter. Then he goes to the NFL getting selected by the San Francisco 49ers, and he has a decent career. He does some special teams. He starts a little. He plays backup, and he has a lot of injuries, so he never really becomes anything more than an okay player, but still a pretty solid career. Ends up playing for almost a decade from 2000 to 2009, all with the 49ers. Finally, though, he retires after he decides, following a concussion, that he can no longer play football. And he decided immediately that football was still in his blood. Even though he wasn't going to play, he wanted to be a coach, so he ends up going to the Seattle Seahawks as a low-level assistant. He was a special teams assistant. Now, this is important because this is where he would cross paths with both Robert Sala 
and Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn would play very much into his story, but this isn't the first time he would cross paths with Dan Quinn. He crossed paths with Dan Quinn as a player. In 2001, Quinn was a low-level assistant in San Francisco when Ulbrich was there. So talk to me a little bit, Dave, about that relationship between Quinn and Ulbrich, because we'll get into what Ulbrich did at UCLA before he got to the Falcons, but their paths crossed twice, and clearly Ulbrich made an impression on Dan Quinn. He did, and and uh, Dan talked about this a couple of times when I asked him about Ulbrich because Ulbrich has kind of moved up the ladder from linebacker coach and then shared the responsibilities as a defensive coordinator here in Atlanta and then ultimately was the defensive coordinator here in Atlanta as some of the changes were made this last season. Um, he talked about Ulbrich, and Ulbrich is always he's, – he's the consummate worker bee, okay? He's the consummate guy that you from a brick-and-mortar guy that you want in your football team as a player – because he was a guy that was willing to, to play special. He just, just documented what he's done in his career. Undersized linebacker, that's why he went to junior college, got an opportunity to get himself kind of uh, work on his craft, if you will, and then got a chance to, to play in Hawaii. Who wouldn't want to play in Hawaii? I mean, by the way, I, uh, that would have been a, lot, been a lot of fun to get a scholarship to go to Hawaii to play. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, but he ends up getting the size and growing into the body a little bit, get, spent some time in the weight room, again, working on his craft, trying to make himself better. And this is what, as a player, this is what Dan Quinn always talked about with Ulbrich is you never had to worry about what he was doing in his room as a, as a coach, or you never had to worry about Jeff Ulbrich. You knew he was turning over every rock to make himself better as a player, and it's subsequently carried over as a coach. He's doing this. He does the same things. He's the last guy on the field with three or four young players that they're trying to develop at the linebacker or DB position. He spent tons of time. I don't know how many times I was at Falcon practice and watching their developmental program. And Jeff Ulbrich's out there with two or three guys every practice, after practice for 30 to 45 minutes, working on something that maybe one of those two, those guys might have been practice squad players that may have been young players on this Falcon team that were in the starting role that he wanted to spend a little bit more time with them, just spending that extra moment. And that's what Ulbrich was to, to Dan Quinn. He saw it as a player. That's why he got involved with him as a coach and, and certainly has carried through. So I think that Ulbrich is one of those guys, um, from what I could gather, and certainly what Dan Quinn was willing to share with me, is I, that's taken care of. I don't need to worry about that part of it as a head football coach. I know Jeff Ulbrich's doing what I need him to do. Which is clearly how they felt about him at UCLA because that was his next stop after he was with the Seahawks. He goes there as linebackers coach, which is where he would make his mark with the Falcons as well. In his first season there, UCLA wins the Pac-12 South Division Championship, and he helps Anthony Barr become one of the best players in the country. Barr led the nation in sacks, and then obviously he's gone on to a really nice career with the Minnesota Vikings. And player development is something that you see a lot of from Ulbrich, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail as we go along. But I wanted to ask you about when he showed up in Seattle with Dan Quinn. How excited were people to get Dan Quinn at the time? And what was the thought about his staff as Ulbrich came in with him? Well, it, it, you know, obviously, again, in the National Football League, and you're feeling it, Scott, there in, in New York. Uh, when you when things begin to get stuck in that rut, um, fans, that's why we call them fans, fanatics, they, it's not for long, right? Mm-hmm. You've you got to keep me interested. you got to keep my 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 taste buds. Uh, you got to give me something to taste here, something that's different. And, and that's where we get excited about it. And so when Quinn came in, it was new, it was exciting. 
Mike Smith had done a nice job here in Atlanta, but uh, when Quinn came in, um, it was a new feeling. It was a guy that had run the number one defense in the National Football League in Seattle. Jeff Ulbrich was a part of that. Um, and so anybody that had a tie to that uh, excellence that they were having in Seattle, you felt good about that. You got a piece of the of the excellence, a piece of a team that had gone to back-to-back Super Bowls. Ulbrich, a part of that, a part of that mix. And when you looked at Seattle – what were the dominating things in Seattle? Yeah, they could rush the passer, but their linebacker play, which is what he was in charge of, Bobby Wagner, uh, those guys were flying around making plays. Ulbrich was directly tied to that. So all of those things kind of couple with Quinn coming and Ulbrich coming with him uh, excited the fan base here in Atlanta. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about player development under Jeff Ulbrich because there have been some really nice players that have come along under his tutelage. Here are just a few of them. Deion Jones, who we all know, Devondre Campbell, and of course, Foye Aluakon. Aluakon, a sixth-round pick, was outstanding for the Falcons this year, and here's what Aluakon had to say about Jeff Ulbrich. He said, I like that he keeps me accountable. That's kind of how my father raised me. I like when I'm not doing something well. He'll come up to me and tell me about it, but he's encouraging, saying he knows the potential of where I can get to, and just having a coach have that confidence in me, I don't want to let him down when he says that. And that sort of tracks with what Ulbrich says about himself and how he approaches things. He says, being a former player, it gives me a unique perspective in that I've been in their shoes and I've walked the walk with them and understand where they're coming from. Sometimes I think a coach that's played understands the gray area that exists in our game. Sometimes we get on a chalkboard and it looks really good and it feels really good from a player's perspective, but sometimes there's a disconnect. Hopefully, people will say that I try to bridge that gap between the player and the coach and the gray area that exists between them. So it really sounds like he's trying to be a teacher, but he's trying to do it in a positive reinforcement type of way, which is exactly what Robert Sala is known for. He's not going to get in your face and scream at you that you're a terrible player and you're a disgrace to the game. He's going to pull you aside and say, look, you messed that up. Let's work together to fix it. Is that more or less his reputation in Atlanta? I think it, Scott, when you look at players nowadays, it's a different era of player. It's a different type of player. And if you don't, if you're not able to morph into that, Scott came, or uh, Jeff came up in a, in, in in a time when there was the screaming and yelling at the players and the grabbing the face mask. I thought there was a number of things in those two statements you read that were telling that I saw play out. His ability to make guys accountable. Um, okay, this is what we worked on. You're not where you're supposed to be. But he had a way to get to why is that happening? Is it something I'm doing? Is it something you're doing? How can we work on it together? So then there's that nurturing part of it, right? There's the mm-hmm. there's the part, okay, let's get this fixed together. Let's get this thing right together. It's not me pointing my finger at you and you better get your get your uh, your rear end going or you're not going to be here very long. It was never the threats of that scenario. It was a more of a we, let's get together and let's make that happen. I thought that, I think that's very telling in what Foyer said. And, and Foyer really blossomed this year in a guy that he was forced to play in 2018 when Deion Jones went down with an injury. You mentioned six-round draft pick out of Yale, very bright guy, but a guy that was kind of a safety slash linebacker, played about 215, 218 pounds, probably playing a little bit out of position. But Ulbrich worked with him and massaged it and made it and made it feel like it, this was a job he could win. And then ultimately this year he has over 100 tackles, leads the team in tackles. He's all over the field. 
Um, and that's under the direction of Ulbrich. So the accountability and then the nurturing process that he puts the guys through. And then the last part of it is what Ulbrich said, I played. And I know that a lot of people say, well, I don't want to hear, oh, I played so you don't understand. It's not that. It's that ability to connect with players because you have, as he said, walk the walk. Um, if you've played and you understand what it's like to have a 325-pound guard come out and collision you as you're trying to play off of him to try to make a play in, in the in the run game or trying to drop back in pass coverage and knock off a, line, a tight end that's trying to pinball his way through the field, knock him off his route – He's done it. He understands how it works, and he understands how difficult it is and some of the pitfalls you can get into so he can steer you through some of those potholes, if you will, to avoid those that he fell in himself. I just think that those three parts of what you just said there, Foyer's statement and then Jeff following up, all those things came to life here in Atlanta. Dave, he's known for his energy. Ulbrich brings a real passion for the game, which is something that will fit well with Robert Sala because he does the same thing. And if you talk to people around the Falcons locker room and ask them about Ulbrich, the word you keep hearing is juice because he really brings a certain juice to the team. Joe Witt, who just got hired with the Dallas Cowboys but was on the Falcons staff, said that he thinks that because he brings that energy from a positive standpoint, it rubs off on the players. And Ulbrich is the type of guy that feels like no matter what the situation, he can help the players overcome it. Raheem Morris, who is the interim head coach, and promoted Ulbrich to defensive coordinator after Dan Quinn was let go after five games. Also said a lot about the juice that Ulbrich brought to the team. He said, you talk about the ultimate juice in your football team. You talk about authentic energy. You're talking about a guy that can absolutely light up a room when he comes in it. He's a former player that knows what it's like to be in the trenches. So he's sensitive to his guys in that way. He can also give them a type of compassion and a type of learning and a type of development that you cannot get unless you've played the game. So those are the things that are really special about Jeff Ulbrich and some of the things that he brings to the table that a lot of coaches can't bring and then some of the former players can't articulate. He has a special, unique way about himself that allows him to do that. So it sounds like the fact that he played and the fact that he's a gifted communicator really gets wrapped up in one nice package here. I find it interesting, Dave, because... When I talked to my friend George Bremer, who covers the Colts, about Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, who was also a candidate for the Jets job, he told me about the hit system, hitting intensity, taking the ball away, and situational smarts. That was part of the culture that he had instilled there, and also everybody knew that on every single play, they had to give maximum effort. They had a chart of when guys would loaf, and if you loaf too much, you would lose playing time. It sounds like Ulbrich sort of helped build that intense culture in Atlanta a lot like Eberflus did in Indianapolis. He's a player's coach. He's somebody that can relate to these guys. He's somebody that's an excellent teacher, but he'll demand effort. He demands intensity and energy, and that's where that whole juice mantra seems to come from. Yeah, it's going to be tough not to have him in the building here in Atlanta uh, because he is one of those infectious guys where you come in, and if you're dragging a little bit, um, he comes popping in and so, wow, I mean, how many cups of coffee has this guy had? Well, it's not coffee. <laughs> it's just a normal juice he's got flowing. Juice is a good word for him. Um, he's a linebacker, and you expect a linebacker to be to be ready to roll. Well, he is that and then some. Um, his ability to get guys – fired up about their opportunities digs being there you know he just loves 
He loves coming to work. He loves, uh, you know, working with guys. He loves putting guys together with one another so they can, uh, you know, they can reach a common goal. Um, and I would challenge all your listeners, Scott, to, you know, go look. You know, they're going to say, well, look at Fal- the Falcons' schedule. And they gave, up, they gave up leads. Well, if you go back and look at the games here, Atlanta lost, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they were 1-9 or 2-8 and eight in one-score games. And there were games – Kansas City's going to the Super Bowl. This was a team that Kansas City had to scrape and claw to put, I believe, 21 points on the board against this Falcon defense somewhere in that neighborhood, 23 points on the board. They had to score late in the football game to make that happen. Their ineffectiveness on offense certainly influenced what what was going on defensively, but they still didn't let go of the rope defensively. They always hung on, and there were a number of games where Atlanta had a chance to win the football game if he could just do one more thing on the offensive side of the ball. So he kept his team in the mix, even though – People's heads were down, looked like the coaches were going to change. The defense continued to play its rear end off. And that's a good, that's a credit to Jeff Ulbrich and the juice you're talking about, having these guys ready to play each and every week. He really helped transform the defense from the first five weeks when Dan Quinn was there to when he took over as defensive coordinator. And when the season started, he had been bumped up to assistant head coach. When Raheem Morris took over as interim head coach, he also got the defensive coordinator title. And I thought this was fascinating. These numbers come from my friend Michael Nania over at JetsXFactor.com. If you look at the first five games and compare them to the last 11 games, you look at Atlanta allowing 32.2 points per game and 446 yards per game throughout the first five games. The Falcons allowed only 23 points per game and 376 yards per game over the last 11, which is a huge improvement. And Dave, some people might sit there and say, oh, whatever, that's just a random sample well here's what makes it super impressive Atlanta was playing against excellent teams during that 11 game stretch they played the Chiefs who we know have the best offense in the NFL the Buccaneers twice who have one of the best offenses in the NFL they were third in offensive DVOA the Saints twice who are seventh in offensive DVOA the Vikings who are eighth in offensive DVOA the Raiders and Chargers who were also at least in the top half. They were 14th and 15th, and the Lions, who were right smack in the middle, at 16th. The average rank in offensive DVOA of Atlanta's opponents over that span was 11.1, and other than the 30th-ranked Broncos, each of the other 10 opponents was in the top half of the league. If you look at that, and then you look at the fact that the Falcons were 25th in defensive DVOA when Dan Quinn was let go after the first five games, and they finished 14th following Ulbrich taking over the defense. That is really impressive. Yeah, it really is, Scott. And that, we saw that play out as I called the games with my partner, Wes Durham, here. We just thought, wow, he's just playing so much better and so much more disciplined defensively uh, and gave themselves a, a chance to win a, a number of games. And so I, I think that those numbers are obviously very reflective of, of what he was able to do. And he did a lot, Scott, with – with the team and the fact that he he really searched and tried to scrape and scrape and scrap to find an identity on the defensive side of the ball because Atlanta couldn't rush the passer, just did not have you know Dante Fowler signed a big free agent deal coming over from the Rams. He just did not show up. Had a problem with Tack McKinley, a kid out of UCLA that just never really rounded in. He ended up cutting him a defensive end. It was a starter, and so now you're mixing and matching people. And what he did was he shifted gears and kind of changed the face of who they were. They wanted to play zone. They wanted to rush a pass with four, be disciplined. 
cackle when when the ball's thrown underneath. And that was kind of Dan Quinn's background. Well, he shifted gears and went to something completely different. He went to pressure. They came they became they came a team that came out and played press coverage on the outside, disrupted routes on the outside, and then he started bringing pressure with linebackers and safeties to try to supplement some kind of pass rush. And it worked. They were getting after people. They were fun. It was fun on the defensive side of the ball. They weren't sitting back like they'd been the first five weeks of the season. They were having fun, getting prepared to play each and every week because they knew that this guy was coming, that guy was coming. We're going to have a lot of a variety of different looks that was going to create problems. And I watched it unfold against the guys you just talked about, Drew Brees against Tom Brady. Watched it happen against Patrick Mahomes. He had Mahomes on the run the entire game. Now, Kansas City ends up winning the football game, and that's ultimately what you're trying to do here. But Obert came up with ways to make the defense viable and the def- and give the defense an opportunity to help win a football game. Um, and I think that's what the Jets are getting. Dave, like you said, a lot of pressure, a lot of press coverage. But I want to know a little bit more about the specifics of the defense. I know that he runs a variation of the Pete Carroll defense, that 4-3 under, something that Robert Sala is known for, although Sala obviously has adjusted it each year to fit the personnel that he has. And it's something that Dan Quinn was known for coming up under Pete Carroll. Tell me a little bit more about what Jets fans can expect from this Jeff Ulbrich defense. Well, first of all, Scott, I think the first thing you're going to notice is that he is going to, and I think he even learned this himself. I think you, if you're, if you quit learning as a player or a coach, then you you might as well check it in, and you might as well be done. If you're not continuing to develop your craft and and learning more and more about the game, because there are nuances that come in on both sides of the football that you have to adjust to, or you have to adapt it to, and and and, and make part of your uh, repertoire. I think that's what Jeff did this year in the fact of trying to search, like I just talked about, and is a, trying to find the identity of this defense because of a lack of pass rush. So I think that's what you're going to get from Ulbrich is he's going to really come in and identify what it is this Jet team is solid in from a coverage standpoint, uh, a rush standpoint, a combination of those two, and and be able to dial in to be able to get a personality defensively that these guys can hang their hat on and make it fun for them to be there. I think that that's, that's first and foremost. It's a team that will uh, implement a number of different looks. You're going to see multiple looks. And, and Coach Sala is going to be a big part of this as well. Obviously, as a head football coach, there's a tremendous amount of responsibilities that are outside the meeting rooms that he's going to have to deal with, all the media obligations that Coach Sala is going to have to deal with. So Ulbrich is going to be his guy in the laboratory weaving up some of these ideas defensively that they're going to do. But I think that the defensive side of the football for the Jets is going to be an exciting brand where the the guys are going to be excited to be there. They're going to be uh, pumped up about what it's going to look like on Wednesday. When they come in on Wednesday and start game planning for the Bills, the Patriots, or whoever it is they're getting ready to play, that group's going to be energized because, one, Ulbrich is going to be energized, and, two, because of what they do from a multiple standpoint, pressures, dropping off in coverage, tackling, all those kind of things are, are what he brings to the table. And then his ability to uh, develop, and I know you talked about a couple of our young linebackers that he developed while he was here that have become – kind of name brand guys in the league now, I think that you're going to get that as well. So again, I'm excited for you guys. I'm disappointed for us here in Atlanta because I really loved being around the dude. I think he did an, an unbelievable job with some of our young talent. We had a, we had four rookies on that team that went to the Super Bowl in 2016. All those guys. In fact, you know, Brian Poole came up there to the New York. We, we had three of those guys stay here in Atlanta that developed into really good players in the league. And, and that's what he's done as well. 
There's been a lot of talk about which players on the defense are going to benefit the most, and the name that keeps coming up frequently is Quinton Williams, who had a fantastic sophomore season this past year. A lot of people wonder if perhaps he ends up in that Grady Jarrett mold. I know he had a little bit of a off year this year, but still one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. Do you think Quinton Williams will continue to blossom under Jeff Ulbrich? Yeah, I think so. And, and and people talk about Grady having a little bit of a down year. Didn't have the sack numbers. Grady was a monster for, for Atlanta in the defense. Uh, he's getting double teamed. If you go back and look at the double team numbers, and I, there's so many analytics out there, Scott, and I don't you, you you just mentioned some. I don't know how we keep up with all the analytics that attach <laughs> to different players. But Grady Jarrett, go back and look. Grady Jarrett and Aaron Donald were the two, two most double team defensive tackles in the National Football League. And I think Grady actually is double team more than Aaron Donald, believe it or not, uh, simply because the Rams had a little bit more up front, right? You couldn't, if you double teamed uh, Donald, then Brockers is coming or somebody else, Floyd's coming off the edge. Whereas here in Atlanta, Grady was the guy. And so they felt like, okay, if we get him double teamed, there's not really anybody up front that's going to hurt us. And so I think that if, when you – and the reason I mention that is because I don't want to think that Grady or the fans think Grady, you know, he's dropped off a little bit. He didn't. He just ended up being the focal point of blocking schemes. Quinnen Williams is a guy that's trending that way. I watch Quinnen Williams play here. You know, I'm, I'm in Atlanta. Obviously, it's the home of the, of the SEC when it comes to the SEC championship. And Quinnen Williams is a guy that was a beast at Alabama and, and came out as a young player – um, I think his upside is is huge, and I think that they'll continue to accentuate that. Obviously, anytime you're good defensively, you got to have some people around them to help accentuate that. Because Aaron Donald, if he's on a if he's on a defensive line by himself, hey, we're not we're not going to be hearing about Aaron Donald as much as we are. He's a, a tremendous football player. We're not going to hear about him as much as they're double teaming the entire time. And Quinton Williams is going to develop into a heck of a player. Ulbrich will help him get there, but he's also got to have some people around him that can that can help accentuate that as well. Dave, as we've said, this is an intense guy who seems to have a personality that's cut out for New York. He's a tough dude, too. His nickname around the locker room is Brick. Do you think he's going to be an instant hit here in New York? Yeah, I think so. He's got, uh, you know, he's got that personality that uh, he's not in your face, but he's in your face. I don't know if that that that's a, a decent analogy. I think that that kind of maybe sums up sometimes what I feel about in New York. I'm a Southern kid. I live down here, grew up in the South a little bit. When I think about New York, I think about, you know, you better have your lunch packed because they're not going <laughs> to give you a break in New York. You better come become ready to play, ready to do your job. I think Ulbrich fits that category and fits that mantra pretty well. So I think he's going to fit in, in New York. So you think he's going to do a great job? This is a good hire by Robert Sala. Absolutely. And, and like I said a couple of times during our, 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 our conversation here, I'm it's crushing me that he's not here anymore because I do think he had a big part of what the good parts of Atlanta were over the last five or six years, which include two two deep playoff runs, one all the way into the Super Bowl. So uh, it's a good get for Robert Sala. It's a good get for the Jet fans, and I think you're going to find a defense that's going to fly around. I was already excited about Jeff Ulbrich coming to the Jets as defensive coordinator, but now I'm even more excited after talking to Dave Archer, who's the color analyst for Atlanta Falcons games on the radio down in Atlanta. I am so excited now for Jeff Ulbrich to get here and help transform this Jets defense. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For those that want to listen to you on the radio, want to interact with you on social media, how can they do that? Well, interact on social media is uh, ArcherQB16. We can I can exchange some 
some uh, Twitter conversation with you. I'm not, that's not my bag. I love doing the games as much as anything, but uh, certainly Atlanta Falcon Radio Network. Also do a radio show that's attached to the Big 12 Conference uh, on uh, XM 375 Big 12 Radio in the morning from 8 to 11 Eastern time in the morning. So I'd love to have anybody who wants to jump aboard, ask me any questions or shoot me something that, uh, that they want to talk about, love to talk about it. But I appreciate it, Scott. Always good to be on with you, bud. Make sure that you're following Dave on Twitter and checking out his work. All those radio shows, especially with the Big 12, you know there are a lot of great prospects that Jets fans should keep their eye on, and Dave has an inside track on that, so make sure you're listening when he does his shows. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest, the New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.